we welcome you to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Eric Lopez. Jeff Sharon will join us later. He is still upset by the announcement of the Academy Awards, announcing that they will be going hostless for the second year in a row. He was very upset. He was hoping they would have a host. So he, But he'll join us later. He'll calm down. He'll join us later uh, on the show. But joining me now... A man who I don't think is upset about that news item, even though the Oscars is a big thing to him, uh, is our very own Brian Murphy. Uh, Murphy, you're not upset by that news, right? No, the Oscars The Oscars were great last year uh, without a host. It was much more streamlined, much more smooth. No one cares about your bits or your jokes. Give me the awards. I don't care about the, the inner splicing of, like, cute celebrity stuff. Just give me the winners. That's all I want. And I think that show did a good job of that last year. And but, uh, I do, I do care about that. Yes, but you're in a pot. See, you and Jeff probably are on different sides of that, so that's okay. That's why you won't be together on the show. But that's well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> get along down the road. Coming up, uh, folks, on the on this edition, you will talk about UCF men's basketball's loss to SMU on Wednesday night and their zero and three start in the league. What does that mean moving forward? Plus some football news. Oh, we got title changes, some promotions in football. What does that all really mean in the big picture? Uh, Plus, later on, we're going to cover this MLS Super Draft. And we could have our very own Cal Jennings. Where did he end up? We're going to discuss that and all that coming up. Of course, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Like us as well on Facebook. And, of course, go right now to blackandgobanneret.com. We have our all-decade series where we talk all UCF uh, decades. We're going to be doing that uh, constantly. We have the football and, of course, baseball and volleyball decade teams coming out. We're going to have softball, basketball, soccer coming up here in the near future, among other topics. And if you go there right now, you can check out exclusively Brian Murphy's recap of the UCF. SMU basketball game, which is where we're going to start the show with, Murph. Um, yeah. The Knights were on the road in Dallas uh, against SMU and dropped an 81-74 decision to the Mustangs to drop to 0-3 in league play um, and have now lost four in a row. And you wrote about it, obviously, as I mentioned, on blackandobanneray.com. Wheelie, though, offensively played well. Cesar DeJesus had 19 points. Colin Smith, 19 points, was not in foul trouble compared to the previous two conference games. And Matt Milan with 19 points, breaking out 7 of 12 from the field. Unfortunately, SMU uh, was really good. Uh, for 13 of 24 from the three-point line, Kendrick Davis, 22 points. Uh, Farron Hunt, 20 points as the Mustangs win, 81-74. What's your takeaway uh, from that game as you wrote about it? I know after the game in the recap, what's your big takeaway from that game? That sometimes your shots fall, and and when your shots fall, I mean, this is so simple. But when you make shots, you're more likely to win basketball games. And I know that sounds ridiculously stupid and, 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 uh, and, and just very basic level, but it's true. I mean, it's about making shots. And so with SMU team, which has been slightly above average uh, on the season as far as from shooting three-point range, uh, they shoot about 34% on the year, come into this game and hit 13 of 24, including, you know, five guys with at least two threes. Theron Hunt, who you mentioned, he hit two threes in this game. He had not even attempted a three-pointer in SMU's previous three games and was two for ten beyond the arc in his previous seven. So sometimes your shots fall. And when your shots fall like that they did on Wednesday night, you lose games. And I know there's more to it than that. We'll, we'll get into that. But really, the top line is 
uh, when you give 13 three-pointers or the other player hits 13 three-pointers, you're not going to win much. No, and, and, you know, I thought it was an interesting game. You know, I was working the Magic Wizards game Wednesday night, so I didn't watch the game live. The game was on ESPN3, so I didn't have the luxury of putting the game on the monitor. The, the Magic games in the media section in the Loge, they have a monitor. So I, I in the past, I would watch UCF games when they were televised. Well, obviously, I did, the game was on ESPN3. I didn't bring my computer, et cetera. So I left the Magic game. You know, and, and I made the mistake <laughs> of checking out social media. And there, of course, I saw the reaction. You would have thought this, like, oh, boy. this. Team. I went back. You know, the fans were flipping out. And, you know, oh, my God. You would have thought we lost by 20. I went back to the uh, – when I got home, I watched the rear after I finished doing with my obligations I had to do with the Magic Wizards game. I watched the game. And, Merv, I thought it was a pretty good game. I thought offensively it's one of the better games they've played offensively. And it was an even, it was anybody's game with ten minutes to go. It was a one point game, and then SM, you know there was a couple of fouls called against UCF. I remember DeJesus with a foul where he hit, he fouled the three point shooter. The next thing you know, SMU goes on a run. They go up nine, and that was kind of the game. And I listened to Coach Dawkins' post game with Mark Daniels on the radio, and he made an interesting point. And you know, you look at their three conference losses; they haven't played a full forty minutes. You know, we were both there when they played basically thirty-five minutes against Temple, and you know, the last five minutes cost them the game. The Houston game, he said they they played about thirty good minutes, and I, I'm going to paraphrase what he said about the SMU game. He thought they played about 33, 34 good minutes. Having rewatched that game I kind of agree with him I thought there was two parts of the game where they you know they struggled unfortunately it cost them the game that was the beginning of the game where they dug themselves a hole I think they were down what uh, 12 nothing it's uh, to start the game 13 13 nothing, 13, nothing. but they came back from that and then from the 10 minute mark mm-hmm. to about the six minute mark basically they fell behind by nine I thought there was those those two little pocket stretches that cost them the game um which obviously is unfortunate. They got to they got to play a forty minute game. Clearly, that's one of the the things that I took away from. You get, obviously, you have to play a forty minute game, but they didn't play that bad of a, a game at all at SMU in a road game. And, it, and again, SMU shot the ball really well. Let's give them some credit as well. Uh, we could talk about maybe their defensive struggles, but I think a lot of this was just good shot making by SMU. Don't you think? Yeah, I do think so. Now, I do think some of the threes come off came off of some perimeter defense that should have been tighter. Uh, and there were twice, in which, yeah, you mentioned a little bit, but there were two, two times in which UCF did foul a three-point shooter in the action, uh, and, and that just can't happen. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just, again, it's shot ball, and when you make the shot, you win games. Simple as that. I, I thought, you know, this, this game didn't follow the script of previous games where we talk about how, you know, oh, the offense isn't there, the offense wasn't there, they played good defense, but the offense wasn't there. Well, the offense was there Wednesday night, and uh, I mean, certainly Matt Milan having 19 points, hitting five three-pointers, it was good to see. You don't know if that sustains itself consistently over the rest of the season because shooting is fickle, but you, this is the Matt Milan we expected to see, so, so seeing that was uplifting. Seeing Colin Smith, who picked up a second foul uh, with 7.33 to go in the first half, and then doesn't let that uh, affect his game going forward and really took over the game early in the second half, uh, that was good to see. Uh, however, there's always that, that stretch. There's always that point in which UCF uh, you know, has this elongated stretch where things go wrong and they sort of get out of hand. And usually it's been because the offense goes cold. And Wednesday was because, and you mentioned it slightly, it was during that midpoint of the second half, they closed within one after a Milan three, 54-53, at about the 10-30 mark or 10-40 mark of the second half. 
And Yusev at that point, I want to mention, uh, was already in the one-and-one bonus. Uh, and and they had only committed one foul on the other end. Uh, SMU, it should be noted, is the top 10 free throw shooting team in the nation. And then over the ni- next 90 seconds, in which Yusef had cut the, lead, cut the deficit to one, UCF commits six fouls in the next 90 seconds. All of a sudden, that advantage that you thought you could have had is wiped out. SMU is now in the one-on-one bonus. They get free throws, they hit, they hit a couple threes, and all of a sudden what was 54-53 is now 63-53, and you're basically playing catch-up the, catch the rest of the way, and there's just not enough, not enough time left, and you run out of time, you lose. It's, it's just, you know, it's just, there's these, you know, these things that you can see the potential of this team. You can see how they do play well for long periods of time, and then you can see why right now it, it's still a work in progress. There's always this four, five, six-minute stretch where – Things just go wrong, and they can't recover enough. And uh, on this night, it was just about not playing uh, or playing defense without foul. You have to do that, and they just didn't do that for that one stretch, and it really cost them. They did. You know, another key stat: the free throw line. You mentioned the fouls. SMU was 16 of 20 from the free throw line. You mentioned it. They are a very good free throw shooting team. It's really rare in college basketball. I think they have three guys on the roster shooting 85 or better, and they're one of the top. Yeah. What was it? Top 10, top 11? You said in the country. They they entered they entered the game seventh of the nation, and wow. they're top in the AAC. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, they're a great free throw shooting team. And they went 16 of 20 from the line. <clears throat> UCF went 9 for 11. And that's been a, at times a theme this year. And, you know, Coach Dawkins talked about it with Mark on the postgame show. But he has talked about this this year, uh, Brian. Sometimes his frustration with this team not getting to the free throw line a lot. I remember going back to December uh, and some of those games where, like the you know the New Jersey Institution technology and even the Green Bay games, I remember you would ask him in the post game about it, and he wasn't happy about getting to free throw line. That's one of the, and one of the reasons I think why is you know one of the key recipes uh, trends that Coach Dawkins I, and I've ta- you know I've talked to him about in the past, and he's mentioned it in the past and talking about it is the free throw battle. And not you know and, and people have focused over the years on UCF's free throw percentage and things like that, but a key stat is. How many free throws UCF makes trying to make more free throws than the opponent actually attempts? That's a philosophy there that Coach Dawkins has from going back from Coach Krzyzewski, uh, who, who learned that from Bob Knight, who was the legendary head coach at Indiana uh, and Texas Tech. And Coach Krzyzewski was an assistant with, uh, you know, they go back into the Army days, but Coach Krzyzewski at Duke. And that's been a, philo- a, a kind of a, a key little note that they like to use as a philosophy to, to, to win games. And part of the philosophy there is it shows that your team is being aggressive and getting to the free throw line and that you're not fouling. That's why that stat's interesting. Let me read you a couple stats there about that. This year, mm-hmm. uh, with after this game, UCF is 6-1 and one this season when they've made more free throws than the opponent has attempted. The only loss was that weird pen game where they could, literally couldn't make a shot. That's really the best way we could describe that game, right? Is that a fair, quick synopsis of the Penn game? They just couldn't make a, a shot from the field, even though they had more attempts and uh, free throws and field goal attempts in that game. It was just a weird. That is true. It was also it was also a game in which uh, Darren Green gets basically sidetracked because yeah. there are you know sixteen three point lines uh, on the court right. in, in Anaheim. Yeah. When now when UCF has lost the free throw battle like they did last night against SMU. 
They're two and five this year. Or three and five, excuse me. Three and five this season. Their wins were the Pepperdine game, the New Jersey uh, Institution of Technology game, uh, and the Green Bay game. Teams that, you know, inferior teams went three and five when they have lost the free throw battle. And they're 0-3 in conference play when they and losing all those free throw battles. Uh, now you might say, well, is that is that a, is that a just kind of a trend, you know, just kind of a random thing? Well, let me go back to last year. I went to last year, a, a much better team. Would you agree with that? With more room for air, you would think a stat yeah. like that would not be as big of a factor with arguably the best team in the history of the program. Well, last year, UCF, when they lost the free throw battle like I described, they were an 8-7 and seven team. They went 8-7. and seven. When they won that free throw battle that I talked about, they went 16-2. and two. Think, mm-hmm. think about the, the difference there. 8-7. and seven, Versus 16-2. and two. Their two losses, by the way, at Missouri, which, Murph, you were, I think we were talked about this on that podcast that when that game happened. They should have won that game. They kind of let that slip away in the final seconds, if I remember correctly, yeah, and lost absolutely. in overtime. Yeah. And then the second loss, mm-hmm. the Duke game. And we know how that one ended. <laughs> Another um, game they could have won. <laughs> right. And, and I would argue, and you know, I don't want to give away too much what we're going to do in the summer because we got some cool projects coming out in the summer episodes-wise, but uh, that Duke game is going to be part of our summer plans, me and Murph have anyway. Jeff mate, was probably going to Thank that. you. Um, and, and look, fans, fans we'll, we'll, we, we have to revisit the Duke game. We have to, and we will. And well, people, and then, right. people probably – People probably roll, people probably hear that and roll their eyes and are feeling nauseous and stop it. We, we have to revisit the best UCF men's basketball game of the past maybe ever. Let's just right. so that's, yeah. Well, and what we're going to do in the summer is we're going to go back in some games UCF and, and kind of look at some stories within the game that we kind of we don't think about when you're watching the game live. And when I recap, when I looked at this. I think a lot of people would have been surprised that UCF won the free throw battle, that they actually made more free throws than Duke actually attempted in that game, considering you know mm. Duke's reputation and some of the calls late in that game. But we, I don't want to get too much into that because that, we're going to save that. You know, we're going to save that for the summer because we're going to have a lot to talk about that game because there's so many stories from that game that's remarkable. But nonetheless, my point is that's a key stat, and UCF has not been able to do that, and this is a team that has less room for error than that team did last year. So I think they have to get back to that, get back to the free throw line, and stop fouling, basically. I know it's it's not you know common sense, but I think that's a key stat, Murph, moving forward for this team to get on track. Yeah, it's something to watch. And it, it, it basically, you know, what you mentioned, it boils down to a certain way of playing defense. You want to defend hard without fouling. But then also offensively, you want to try to get to the rack, attack the basket, and draw contact. And you know, Johnny Dawkins brought that up in his post game uh, radio interview, and and that's just not something that we've seen enough of of this team on both ends. We, you know, we've seen them commit a lot of fouls down low, uh, mostly with Colin Smith, and then offensively, sometimes the ball just stops moving, and they settle for outside shots. And although this is you know a, a, a team that is not afraid to shoot a lot of threes. Um, they, you know, they've got to keep the ball moving, they, and then really they got to work inside out. And I always thought this team is so much better and really set up to where if you can get the ball in, get the ball into Colin Smith or Avery Diggs, because both guys are pretty proficient passers, and you let them work and then decide whether or not to drive, go to the hoop, or then pass it out. And then if you, even if that doesn't work, you've got guys who can slash like Dazon Ingram and, and Caesar DeJesus, guys who can get to the paint. 
Um, and I, I we, maybe we just not seeing enough of that. And uh, so we'll see if that changes going forward. But you know, we can talk about you know Yusef being zero three, and we knew it wouldn't be a, an easy start to the year because of the front loaded schedule. Well, I mean, it, it gets even worse from here. It really does get <laughs> even harder starting with Cincinnati on Saturday afternoon. But I don't think this team's going winless, like some people on social media were trying to. Uh, no, yeah, you know, like I like that's like the, one of the bigger overreactions. Like, oh my god, we're gonna go winless. Like, no, settle down. Like, I kind of feel like we always, and it kind of happens in baseball, Murph. I'll use a baseball analogy. When a baseball hitter starts the year going two for twenty, we make it a bigger deal than it really is because every baseball yeah, player throughout yeah. the year goes two for twenty. The difference is we notice it more when the year starts, right? Right, because that's all we've got to go off of. Look, look, sports writing and sports commentary is about building narratives. So, so if, if if all we have to go off is three data points, and that all of those data points are losses, then we'll say, is this team going to go winless? Or if they, if a guy starts off, you know, again hitting a you know hitting a hundred after twenty plate appearances, they go, is, is this is this guy done? Is he why does he suck so bad? Like, no, it's just it's just a it's just a bad stretch. Like, if you look at their schedule. And you can like just be very honest with yourself. They have Cincinnati on Saturday. That's going to be difficult, especially after what we saw Cincinnati do on Wednesday night against Tulsa, in which you saw the real Cincinnati team, the one that we all thought we're going to get going into this year, absolutely, absolutely destroy Tulsa by more than thirty. Then you've got a away game at Tulane, definitely winnable, even for this team. Uh, South Florida, uh, as famously said on this podcast, not as good as expected. Unfortunately for me, uh, that could be a win. That's at home. Then you've got Wichita State, Memphis back to back. No, <laughs> but then US, then USF, East Carolina, Tulsa. So I know I'm going kind of far here. I'm going into February here, but the, the fact is, is that if we look up in about a month, and this team is like, I think it's like now five. It would be five and six in conference. Like that's very attainable. It's not awful in this conference. And people will just calm down. Like, they're going to get their wins. They, it, it would be different if we watched these games and, and saw a team that was completely lost, wasn't working together, that got down on itself when things got bad, uh, did not play hard defense. And we're not seeing any of that. We're seeing the absolute opposite of it. I mean, this team could absolutely cave in the first two minutes of that game on Wednesday night, down 13 nothing after giving up a few threes on the road for the second game in a row, back at Texas uh, for the second time in five days. They didn't cave. They came back. They fought. They took the lead. Some things went wrong. But they, they've been competitive. They, they, this team has been, if nothing else, very feisty. And it, 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 I know it doesn't matter as much as wins and losses, but at least you want to see them compete. And this team does that. And so after a while, you're going you're gonna to end up winning those games. You're going to end up being on the right side of those games just due to the vagaries of basketball, shots will fall while your opponent's shots bounce away. I mean, it just it, that's going to happen. So maybe that maybe they can surprise us on Saturday with a with a win at the, with a win at home against Cincinnati. I don't know. College basketball is really weird this year. There's no dominant team. Every team can be beat on any night. So I think this team at least has given itself a fighting chance every game it goes into because of the, of the way it plays defense. Uh, and, uh, and they do have shooters. I mean, they do have shooters that just haven't really, I thought, you know, been consistently good this year. They've shot less than 30% from three-point range, but we saw it, they'd be better, it was better on Wednesday night. So maybe if they can carry a little bit of that going forward, Colin Smith, 
is the is the man they they need him to be in the middle doing uh, you know a lot of scoring a lot of passing. This, this team's gonna be fine. This team's gonna be fine. It, it, that doesn't mean the team's gonna win the conference tournament or go to the NCAA tournament again. Because if you ever thought that, then you were completely misguided. Uh, this is a this is a transition year. It's a rebuilding year, and this team still can be good enough to finish in the middle of the pack of the conference. Maybe get and then I keep it if it if it you know gets a run like it's a run going late in the year, and if that happens, I don't know what else you could have possibly expected more out of this team. And we said not to uh, give ourselves a pat on the back, but we warned everybody this was a rough start to the schedule. Heck, I remember Murph when the schedule first came out. You highlighted this beginning of the schedule as a rough patch for this team, and we said two and two. We would celebrate if they could go somehow two and two. Uh, I would have yeah. even taken one and three, and really the game that stings right now is the Temple game, right? If the if they win that yes, Temple absolutely. game, I think that we're having a completely different conversation, at least or at least the fans' reaction is completely a little bit different. Uh, but this is a tough stretch. I mean, Houston's really good. Um, and let me ask you real quick about SMU before we move quickly to Cincinnati. I was impressed with SMU. I know they've played a lot of uh, home games so far this year, but they've played good basketball. This is a program that's had some uh, sanction issues, probation issues, uh, post-Larry Brown. Because people forget, this team was a championship tournament team uh, when the American Conference was formed. They were one of the top teams in the league, and then they had probation. Um, He's got some transfers there. We talked about some of their players there. I think SMU has a shot to be the fourth best team in this league. We'll find out if they can carry their good games on the road. I think that's the big question with SMU, but I think they're the fourth or fifth best team in the league right now. Possibly. Uh, that spot is kind of wide open. Uh, and, you know, you look at SMU, one, you know, they do, they do a couple of things really, really well. They know how to score. They're extremely efficient. They're extremely efficient on offense. I think they're one of the top 20 most efficient offenses in college basketball. And secondly, they, they hit their free throws. How important is that? We talk about it so much. If you make your free throws, it, it, makes, your, it, makes, it makes the game so easier. It was so much easier for you because you're just not throwing away three points. This team does need to play better defense consistently to be, to be in the top four. But that spot is wide open. If you consider basically that Wichita, well, I mean, Wichita State, uh, Memphis, and Houston, in whatever realm you want to put it in, are in the top three. And then you might have SMU and Cincinnati fighting for the fourth spot, which, you know, can we just consider and take a step back at what, what, what I just said? Cincinnati might be the fifth best team in this conference. And they're not bad. Like, they're still a tournament. They could possibly be a tournament team. That's how good this league is. Like, this league is, is really good, uh, especially in the, in, the, in the top, like, eight or nine. Uh, and, and UCF is finding that out right now. I mean, SMU, I think, is better this year than, than I expected, I would say that. Uh, Wichita State is better than I expected as well. So this conference, that schedule that looks front loaded now also looks back loaded too because there's just a lot of there's a lot, there's a lot of competition on here that that is tough. And you know what they say when you look at a schedule and you don't find an easy victory, um, it, it possibly means that you that you are that you are that easy victory. And right now, UCF has got to find its way to keep its confidence uh, and just go forward. And know it's still early and everything they want to attain, whatever that is. I know that they talk about NCAA tournament, but let's be realistic. They, they could possibly finish 500 in this conference and make an NIT bid. That is a monumental accomplishment considering what Johnny Dawkins is trying to do this year. Something he has said is 
maybe the, the one of the hardest things he's ever had to do as a coach in his entire career, which is implementing eight to nine new players uh, in, in this year's roster. Uh, and, and for them to possibly go 500 in this conference, I know they're 0-3 now, but it's, it, it, believe me, the way they played and their schedule cup coming, it's, it's possible. Uh, and if they end up doing that, then we should, he should be applauded. They will host Cincinnati on Saturday, noon Eastern, ladies and gentlemen. Get your get your coffee ready or early brunch, however you want to describe oh, it. Oh, baby. Uh, noon on ESPN2. You mentioned this earlier, Murph. They're coming off Cincinnati, maybe one of the better games they've played the whole year, blowing out Tulsa by 31 at home. They have the reigning American Conference Player of the Year, Javon Cumberland, and new first-year head coach uh, John Brannon, who comes over from Northern Kentucky, replacing Mick Cronin, who went to UCLA. We've talked about this in previous podcasts about some of the issues they've had, it seems like chemistry-wise, with the coach and the players losing some just perplexing losses for this team and this roster, considering the expectations they have. But my concern is, real quick, is I you know could that Tulsa game be a turning point for this team? Maybe they found themselves finally, and maybe they're on the same page. Which, unfortunately for UCF, it's not the timing you would have, you would have what you would have wished that would have waited an extra week or two. Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of mentioned it in the recap on the site is, you know, Cincinnati has been up and down. I mean, I mean, losing to Tulane, uh, that 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 infamous loss to Colgate at home, in which Jaron Cumberland didn't know the score and threw up a half court shot at, with. With time remaining in a tie game, it was bonkers. And we, we know that Jaron Cumberland and John Brennan are not getting along well to start their relationship together. It has not gone smoothly. But I fear for UCF that maybe they've caught uh, Cumberland and company at the wrong time uh, because they absolutely destroyed Tulsa and Cumberland coming off his best game of the year. I believe he had 22 points, I want to say like seven rebounds and six assists. Like he was just all over the place doing everything as we expect him to do. And is this the game that kind of gets them rolling into what Cincinnati should be? This has not been the defensive stalwart teams that we saw under under Mick Cronin, but they're still pretty good defensively. They're not great, but they're still you know okay. Um, but when you have got, when you've got a guy like Jaron Cumberland, who is such a mismatch at all levels of uh, you know uh, all levels of the court because of what he can do and his body and his and his size and, and just sort of sort of how he uses his thick frame. Uh, he can just take over games, and he absolutely did that last night. And you fear that maybe now they found something where they can kind of keep it going. And you hope for UCF that, that that's not true, and they can do something to, to sort of offset that. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see on Saturday at noon. I'm looking forward to it. Our fans are looking forward to it as well. This team is not nearly. This team is not as bad as its record shows. Uh, if you've watched the games, you know this team has been close in every single one of the conference games. It just needs to overcome this stretch, these these, these small stretches, five six minutes really, where things go wrong, and and they just iron that out. There's not these aren't things that aren't fixable. Um, it's, it's 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 still it's 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 still definitely worth a team worth watching, worth following. Don't don't uh, lose your minds over an zero three start. Twenty two point seven boards, eight assists. That was the box score for Jared yeah. Cumberland in the victory over Tulsa. He's a heck of a player. You see, if I have their hands full. On Saturday noon on ESPN2, and then UCF will go to Tulane, a much-improved team uh, after that. And then in Hosea, South Florida, as Murph has mentioned, we'll keep it uh, covered. We'll have it covered for you on BlackAndGoBanneret.com. Keep it there for all the latest. All right, when we come back, Murph's going to break down the big coaching title changes in UCF football, including a new guy on board. We'll tell you about that. Plus, huh? 
UCF getting a Nebraska player. Yeah, that's what, take that, Nebraska. We just took one of your people. How does that feel? Who that is? Murph will tell us next. You're listening to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Eric Lopez alongside Brian Murphy. Jeff Sharon will join me next segment. Uh, we're going to talk, actually, it's a big weekend for UCF Cincinnati sports because the women's team will play uh, at Cincinnati. Jeff and I will break that down. Plus, MLS Super Draft. I know, Murph, I'm, we're disappointed. You know, me and Jeff, we're having the MLS Super Draft party, and you're not joining us. I'm, I'm bummed out. I know. It's weird because, you know, everybody who looks at me just knows it's soccer is <laughs> my favorite sport. I, I also love the fact that it's called the Super Draft. Not just a draft, it's a Super Draft. Um, super so, so make a note of that all you NFL NBA uh, exciting people drafts it's not super um, anyway we'll get into that later with Jeff uh, on that but in the meantime let's get into football here Murph because we actually had a lot of news items uh, football wise big week this week uh, we you know obviously Jeff Levy left for Ole Miss people wondered who was going to replace Jeff Levy on the staff and what role they would have and what Josh Heupel was going to do and we have the answer now Murph we sure do, and I remember when uh, Levy left, uh, and we and the next time we saw uh, Coach Heifel, we asked him, "Was there any timetable for him to replace Jeff Levy as quarterbacks coach?" And he basically said, "At that point, no." And as it turns out, the, the timetable was about three weeks uh, because UCF has found its new quarterbacks coach, and it's gone from within uh, with Joey Halsley. Halsley uh, spent uh, last year's offensive quality control coach, and is really, as I said in the article on Black and Gold Banneret. He is a Heifel disciple, uh, has, has been coached by Josh Heifel when he was a quarterback at Oklahoma, then coached with Josh Heifel at Oklahoma, Utah State, and Missouri, uh, then, uh, then comes to, uh, to uh, UCF after two years in the private sector, and he will be the man tasked with uh, helping uh, Dylan Gabriel reach every single last inch of his potential over the next uh, two to three years of his UCF career, so uh, your new quarterback coach, Joey Halsley. I think that's the, that's the key. Uh, there are three, there are three, three coaching changes or three uh, titles that we'll discuss, but that is the most significant one. I love the hypo disciple. That's that's a good rhymer. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but that, I feel I, like we can make a T-shirt out of that. I did. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I I was very fond of myself, and you know, every once in a while, I can be somewhat clever. Like every like <laughs> once every three years, so it was really nice. Uh, well, the newest guy to join the staff is Alex Golish, who comes over from Iowa State, where he was the tight end. Uh, you know, he was up there as a, one of their main guys there on the staff. I think it was their tight end coach and main recruiter guy at Iowa State. He's coming over to be the tight ends coach and the co-offensive coordinator. Uh, what do you? What can you tell us about Alex Golish, Murph? Well, I, other than you know, obviously working with the tight ends uh, for a long period of time, so we'll see if that changes how maybe. This team utilizes guys like Jay Keskak or, or Jonathan McAllister. You know, probably not, but we'll see. I, I think the main thing about Ogalesh is his ability to recruit. Uh, he has always been one of the lead recruiters, uh, you know, wherever he's been. Uh, he was at uh, Illinois, Iowa State, Toledo. He's always been, uh, people know him for being a really, really good recruiter. And I think that's something that UCF needed to replace uh, once Levy left. I think Levy did a lot of that. To the offensive side of the ball, and so they've, they've kind of found that in Alex Golesh. Uh, that's going to be, the, I think, the most important part of his job, even if it's not front and center on his job title. 
uh, of just being, you know, quarterback's coach and co-offensive coordinator. Uh, that's great. That's fine. But his real value is going to be in the off seasons and on the road, getting guys to come to UCF. And, you know, offensive coordinator is a fancy title. And there are two now with uh, last year, you know, Jeff Levy was, was technically offensive coordinator. And, and now Galesh is sharing those responsibilities with Anthony Tucker, the running backs coach. But let's be frank, it is really in title only. Uh, and maybe that means a raise in pay, but Josh Heifel still is the chief designer of this offense. He's still calling the plays. Uh, we, 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 you know, we kind of found that out you know, as, as, as after Levy left. We talked about his impact. Uh, uh, you know, leaving the program and how Heifel has to replace that. And let's be honest, Josh Heifel was pretty out front and and making sure everyone knew just who ran the ship offensively for this team. And it's still Josh Heifel. It will continue to be Josh Heifel no matter who gets the OC titles. Uh, Goalish officially replaces John Cooper, which I don't know if we've discussed on this uh, podcast, but in case you've missed it, John Cooper, who was the tight end coach at UCF, left for the same role at Arkansas uh, there. Yeah. And you mentioned the co-offensive coordinator that Golish will be sharing. Uh, he will be sharing it with uh, one of our own, Anthony Tucker, who's obviously the running back coach. He still will be the running back coach. Good promotion for Anthony Tucker, right? I mean, he's done a good job with the running back since he's been here. Obviously, all the talented backs there. So I think that's a, a good use there of a promotion. And I think a lot of times, uh, and, and, you know, it's funny, I, I don't think fan, I don't think the majority of fans care about this kind of stuff because in reality, no one ever brings these guys up during the season, right? Like no one's going to be bringing up in October if a play goes wrong. Oh, what was Golish and Tucker doing there? We're always people are always going to point to Josh Heupel, uh, regardless if something goes right or something goes wrong. But nonetheless, uh, good promotion for Tucker there, right? Yeah, absolutely deserving. I mean, you look at and we can talk about how you know coaches is only as good as the talent he's given. But a coach also has to, has to uh, you know, nurture that talent and, and, and make it come out. And you can see that, you know, with, with Greg McRae, a walk-on who has been uh, really, when healthy, a stud for this team. Uh, Adrian Killens, obviously, you know, just completely a game-breaker. Ventavious Thompson has now broken through to being a guy where you can really see him being a big contributor consistently next season as more of a bigger back, short yardage, but also... Just if you need a if you need a, a workhorse type guy, he's more built for that. And obviously, Otis Anderson does everything. Uh, Anthony Tucker's gotten a lot out of this running back core, and he deserves that that promotion. Uh, again, it doesn't. I don't think it really means his job changes much, but it's it's a nice title, and it probably comes with some more money. So good for him. Right, and and at the end of the day, the you know the buck stops with Josh Heupel, and and I don't have a problem with it. By the way, by the way, he sets up his staff. He wants control of the offense. He's going to call the plays, as you mentioned, and I don't have a problem with that. I think Josh is a little bit of an old school thinker, thinker from the standpoint of hey, if things are going to go well or not go well, I want it to be under my control with my hands on it. I don't want something to go wrong because somebody else did it, and. It was interesting. I, I was watching Bill Belichick's season-ending press conference, which sound, sounds so good to say, by the way. It feels good to say that. <laughs> that it's not on a Super Bowl year and a Super Bowl presser for a change. But, a me, you know, the Boston media asked him about about being the head coach. Did he did he, did he he delegate enough? Does he have to, Did he put too much in his plate? And Belichick kind of gave an interesting, great answer that I think people, we kind of forget sometimes. He's like, look, as a head coach, I can do – I'm paraphrasing what he said. I can do whatever I want. And I could delegate as much as I want, and I could have as much 
you know, involvement as I want. And that's the beauty of being a head coach. If you're a position coach, you only have a tight, you only have control over one thing. Whereas a head coach, you have control over more things. And that's he feels comfortable with that because he knows what's going on. And I think Josh feels this. I bet you Josh feels the same way in that philosophy that I want to have hands-on on everything that's going on, especially on the offense and the play calling. That's what I feel comfortable with. And if something goes wrong, I want it to be – at least I can live with the fact that it was me that either I didn't call the right play or the play didn't go wrong. It's under my responsibility, but I can live with that. Um, I, I think that's Josh's philosophy, and I don't have a problem with coaches that have that belief. No, and you know, as long as you are willing to answer the questions when things go wrong, because you can – we can talk about it's, it's great when things go right, and let's be honest, this offense goes you know right much, much, much more often than it goes wrong. So when things go wrong, just just take just just explain yourself. Just you know talk to us, explain yourself. Don't pass the buck. Know that this offense begins and ends with you. Obviously, he has input with so many other with, with other coaches, but really, it is his ship. He has he has made it profound, profoundly clear in, in the in the in you know in in the aftermath of Jeff Levy. So you know when things go wrong next year, and I'm not, I'm not saying he's never done this. I, I think Jeff, I think Josh Heupel has has at least been you know he's been around to answer questions. He doesn't he doesn't you know uh, scoff at the media and, and and run off when things go bad. I mean he is there to at least answer questions. You know whether you want to quibble, uh, quibble with the, the the substance of his answers, that's a different thing entirely. Um, but you know just when things go wrong, you know just talk about it. That's all, and he's done that. So. Uh, yeah, I think Heifel understands that's part of the job, and, and so I think he's he's fine with that. And, and you know, yeah, I think going forward, it's just you know he he's he knows what he's made for himself, and if if, he, if he's willing to 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 be the, the the voice and really the leader of this entire offense through and through, then just be it, and he's done that. By the way, uh, I know we have we failed to mention this, but I think this kind of tells you how much we think little of this. <laughs> Uh, no, we don't think he's going to Baylor. Uh, am I am I being too cocky there, Murph? I mean, I mean, just because you know media people put him on a list does not mean that he's necessarily leaving or he's going to be a candidate. Um, there is this thing called the ten million dollar buyout that teams would have to do if they want to get uh, Josh Heupel. And I speak of Baylor because obviously Matt Rule left Baylor to go to the Carolina Panthers. Got an amazing contract. Congrats to him and his agent, by the way. Wow. Uh, where he pretty much has say on personnel, and he's making about seven, eight million a year for like seven year deal. No wonder he passed on the Giants. Um, are you concerned at all? Are you? I mean, are we, are we? I mean, Mississippi State is open. Again, we're recording this early Thursday morning, so I want to preference that. Any concern on your end? I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard anything concrete about. Josh Heupel taking an interview, or or really, do we know if Baylor is absolutely invested into looking into Josh Heupel, or are we just throwing things against the wall? Because that's usually what we do in in in, in sports journalism here. And I think that's right now. It's what we're at. Uh, but no, I'm not concerned. I mean, I, I'm not. There are there there are definitely ways for him to get out of that ten million dollar buyout with Baylor. I mean, I, I still think they could they could overcome that. But uh, but I'm not like oh that's it he's gone or we should be on hypo watch for the next you know three to four weeks while Baylor finds a new head coach like no just we'll see what happens I, I don't expect much to happen uh, but we'll see it's it's just it's, it's it's silly that we give this much air you know but like I, I get it I get it people you know UCF 
is, is sort of, you know, always wary of, of other programs poaching their head coaches. Uh, that's fine. But on this instance, I, I just don't see a whole lot right now to be alarmed about. No, no. I mean, there's no nothing concrete about it. So if something that warrants coverage of that, we'll let you know. But I, I, I just – it was funny. Like when I woke up and I saw Jeff uh, tweet all of us because, you know, you knew Jeff was going to freak out. Um, <laughs> hey, we're, we're concerned about Hypo and Baylor. My initial thought was like, oh, okay, so Matt Rowe finally took the Giants job. And then I found out, oh, wait, no, he's going to Carolina. Um, who knows? Odds are Baylor might just promote from within. I mean, that's more likely – uh, than what they're going to do. So who knows? But I agree with you. Look, if somebody was willing to leave Orlando to go Waco, Texas, then more power to you, man. You know, that's my, my thought on that. Yeah, that, that is also true. <laughs> I mean, hello, Orlando, Florida, Waco, Texas. Uh, that, I think, has some value. So we'll get we'll follow that story uh, in a little bit. Uh, let's turn our attentions to baseball, Murph, because it is that time. We're only about, what, a month away here from college baseball, Murph. I know you're counting down the days, and – we actually have UCF baseball news, a new acquisition that's going to be joining the Knights in 2020, uh, a new face uh, coming over from Nebraska. Yes, uh, and I will say, Eric, that UCF, UCF baseball started individual drills on Monday, the 6th, uh, full team practices on the 24th, all leading up into the uh, the first weekend of the season, which is about five weeks away, middle of February, uh, cannot win. But with that said, uh, Yusef did gain a transfer this week, a grad transfer from Nebraska, in Chad Loonsman. I, now, I, I do not know if I am exactly correct on that pronunciation. If it's Linsman or Loonsman, uh, so forgive me. I, I have to check with our SID. Uh, but for what, it, for what it's worth, uh, I'll just go by Chad. For, I'm going to go by Chad for now, just to be safe. Uh, no disrespect. I just don't know how to pronounce that last name entirely. So let's go with Chad. Uh, he, I, I think he can be a, a, another piece out of this bullpen that can help UCF win games. We know how Greg Lovelady wants to build a strong bullpen. This is another guy who, granted, if you look at his numbers, was not good in 2019. Coming off of Tommy John surgery, however, in 2018, so really needed a year to get past that. But if you look at 2016, 2017, I mean, he was a, he was a freshman All-American. Uh, in 2016, uh, not quite as good in 2017, but still stellar. Uh, had started a few games, but most of his work come out of the bullpen. Uh, and I, I again, I, I, UCF wants to shorten games. That has been Lovelady's mo uh, for what is now, I think, the fourth year that he's been here. Uh, heading into his fourth season, is he wants to make this a short game and get into that bullpen by the sixth or seventh, and then shut you down. And if you look at guys that they've got. Uh, like Jeffrey Hakinson, uh, Zach Helzel coming back as well from Tommy John, uh, a lot of other guys, and then you add uh, Chad to the mix. Chad, uh, it, it has the makings of a really good bullpen, which uh, we can talk a lot about this team's question marks, but maybe the bullpen is the least one of which. Well, and that's important in baseball in general, not you know college, pro baseball, and things like that. Uh... Mm-hmm. Does this mean that is, does this mean we're even now for the Trey Neal going to Nebraska? Is this a fair trade? I mean, this is the third, you know player to be named later here. Can we just you know be all cool isn't now? This, Kumbaya. Isn't this like uh, you know we'll have to wait and see? We'll have to wait and see what he does for UCF baseball. If if, if, if he if he gets you know, if he helps UCF baseball you know uh, get in the NCAA tournament, 
then you have to say yes, right? Considering well, how he helps them make the tournament. Right? I would argue we won the trade at that point. I mean, you know, yeah, that's the, that's the point. That's the <laughs> point because because we don't know yet. I mean, obviously uh, Nebraska did not do a whole lot in the final season with with Trey Neal, and, and that's not on Trey at all. Is that, that, that there are a lot of other things wrong with, with that team? Uh, then you know, then to put anything on Trey. But if we're talking about like one for one trades, then yeah, we'll we'll see what what happens with UCF baseball and and to see how much Chad figures into that. I gotta figure, I gotta find out his name. It's like it's like I, I know it'd be like Loonsman or Lindsman. It's killing me that I I couldn't find a pronunciation. I should have asked uh, the baseball SID before I did this podcast. Uh, but that's what I get for not having any foresight. No, well that's all right. Just call Scott Frost. Maybe he knows. <laughs> oh man, we're just having some fun with that. So that that's so we'll see how that goes. Uh, when is the first official uh, practice? You say when are we going to get to uh, see them practice? January twenty, January twenty fourth, two weeks from tomorrow, two weeks from Friday. Wow! Uh, I, and I believe those practices might be open to the public. They they usually have been, and I only mention that because uh, not that anybody really shows up shows up to watch the practices, but I would like to. So I, I might be there. Because, what do you mean, Mike? We all baby. know you're going to be there one way or the other. It's just a matter of how you get, you know, what the, what the, how you get hit. <laughs> you know, might be the question. There uh, should be a lot of fun baseball season around the court. Before we let you go, uh, and you know, again, we'll miss you at the MLS Super Draft party that me and Jeff will be at. Thank but, you. Um, one of the I mentioned earlier, we're doing an all-decade series on Black and Go Banneret where we look back at the last decade. What I mean, the most incredible decade for UCF athletics as a whole, and one of the. Th- pieces we've done out there is the UCF baseball all-decade team. We did two teams there. Uh, and we've had great feedback, by the way, for all these teams. But a lot, you know, some people upset, uh, but a lot of positive stuff, which I'm all for, by the way. There's no And, and people have to remind, remember, this is all subjective in a lot of ways, right? Like, there is no concrete, like, oh, this guy had, you know, this yeah. or that. It's all based on opinion and what you watched. And um, we've even tweaked the, the teams based on fans, uh, you know, uh, coming out with opinions and thoughts and feedback. Uh, that's the beauty of this, you know. And I've been overwhelmed, actually, by how many players have come to me, Murph, and appreciated the the recognition, if you will. Uh, and I've been also overwhelmed and, and, and pleased with players that are generally like, man, what about, like, you know, Thad Ward was like, what about me? <laughs> and he was right. I, I, we made the, I made the mistake on that. I forgot Thad Ward. I mean, Jeff had these stats, uh, what is it, baseball cue, which I had no idea about. I wish I would have known that before I put in yeah. my votes on that. Uh, what's your overall thoughts? You've seen the list. Uh, give me your overall impression on, on the, the all-baseball ba- decade there since you uh, – I know you missed a good chunk of it because uh, you were on sabbatical in California, but yet, uh, you know, you have a good perspective for the program. Famously on sabbatical, yes, according to some. Uh, yeah, no, look, I think there's two things that we should get out of the way out, out front. Like I said, it's totally subjective. This is not ordained by the university. This is not official in any way. This is us trying to create content uh, after football season in which not a whole lot's going on. And, and I commend you, Eric Lopez, because baseball, I think, above all else, is really difficult just because there's so many different guys, even more so than football. There's so many different guys doing different jobs on the field. And to, to sort of go through each one uh, over a decade long uh, of baseball and break it down by position, uh, I, I think what you came up with was a pretty good list. Not that I, not that I disagree with all of the 
the feedback that you've gotten. I, I do think the fans have brought up good points about adding guys to the list, and we've done that. We, we have not been stuck in stone uh, with the, with the list. Um, I, I think it's absolutely fine. I, I remember when you shot when you when you shot the initial list over to me because you know I'm supposed to be the baseball guy and yada yada yada. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, and I look at it, I'm like, that looks totally fine to me. Like I, I, you know, I, I, now you could say like, I didn't have the foresight to, to add in guys like that Ward, which we should have, we should have added out of hand initially. I get that, but we've corrected that mistake. Uh, but still, I think, I think it's, I think this is a really good representation of what UCF baseball has given us through the decade. And, and it's fun as a fan to not, not only look back and, Obviously, I'm very familiar with guys who have who have been here for the past three years, but for even for me, for guys who were here early on, early on in the decade, 2011, 2012, 2013, when honestly, I swear to God, uh, there's some guys on this on this list who I I was not aware of because at that point in my life, living 3,000 miles away, uh, I just wasn't paying attention to UCF baseball, uh, and I think you've done a really good job of giving everyone. A great snapshot of of the decade, uh, very evenly thought out, uh, as far as, or laid out as far as representation o- over each era, both with Rooney and Lovelady, um, and yet people can quibble all they want and disagree about omissions and whatever. But we're always going to have that. We're always going to have that things like this. There's always going to be guys who don't make the cut. This is what we do. We talk about people who who got left out, what they got left out, and and you know at least at least we are not. You know, so stuck up to think that that we can't change it. At least we we've no, done that. No, and uh, I, but, over, but overall, overall, it's been very nice. No, and that's why we want fans' feedback. I mean, this is you know, this is important, and it's important to a lot of people. Like I said, it's really I've been a lot of players have you know messaged me, Murph, and said thank you, you know, and things like that, and like uh, Roman, yeah. M- Roman Madrid, and you know, things like that. And that means a lot because remember, these guys don't get the coverage that, for example, football does, or even basketball. So this is, for them, it's a, it's a really big, you know, they, they, they it's good to be mentioned. Now let me defend a few picks before, real quick, because some people have questioned certain selections, and, and I, you know, I want to defend some of them. For example, some people have a problem with Chris Duffy being on the list because he only played in 2010. People, do you realize that was his year that he ended up a Golden Spikes finalist? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> huh? That, I think that Arguably had the, the, Arguably had the best season in UCF baseball history. Yeah, I mean, he's one of two UCF players ever to end up a Golden Spikes finalist, which is the award that goes to the best baseball player in the country. And I believe he lost to Bryce Harper. Is that right, Murph? That year? He did lose He did lose to Bryce Harper and famously was also up against uh, uh, Chris Thale and Drew Pomeranz and uh, another major leaguer whose name I'm, I'm forgetting. Oh, Yasmani Grandal. Yeah. Like, literally, uh, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it never fails to amaze me. Never fails to amaze me. The top five Golden Spikes finalists for 2010 were Chris Duffy and four guys who, to this day, are still playing in the major leagues. <laughs> and two of them are legitimate stars. And Grandal just got like a $60 million contract. That's good. That's a good list. Um, and then Shane Brilliant. Brown, who some people like, yeah, he had an All-American year in 2010. He had like 330. I mean, he was a machine. I mean, honestly, with the Hall of Fame, they announced this week they're taking um, – suggestions for the 2020 UCF Hall of Fame class. I think Duffy and, and Shane Brown are two candidates for baseball right off the bat. They were two of the best baseball players ever. So they warrant to be in the first team there. Uh, some people question Roman Madrid. I, and I told you this off air, Murph. Roman Madrid in 2012, he was there for one year. But he was the bridge to Joe Rogers and what I thought. And you mentioned earlier how important the bullpen is for Lovelady in this year. That was a key big factor in 2012 why UCF – arguably had their best team ever. They had a dominant bullpen with Madrid 
and 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 Rodgers. I con- I compared it to the Yankees in '96. Uh, to you off-air about Wetland and Rivera. Probably a more accurate statement would even be more recent uh, since we have a Nebraska tie-in here. Jabba Chamberlain. Remember Jabba when he was in his prime as a setup guy to Rivera? Before, How can I forget? Before all the mosquitoes got in the way and you guys decided. The midges. To right. No, the midges they ruined them all. Well, that was Roman Madrid. He was Jabba Chamberlain. A big factor in that bullpen, they don't have the success without him. He was dominant as a setup guy, and he could close when Rodgers wasn't available. He more than warranted being on the first team. That's why I had him in the first team for some people that were questioning that uh, deal there. And, again, we, you know, J.J. I mean, JJ Montgomery, you saw him for that one year. He was dominant, especially in that second half of the year in 2018. Second That's why half, he was on the yeah. second team. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Like, I, I think J.J. was sort of finding his way that year, sort of finding his role and – and they didn't, they didn't didn't really have a role early on. Started out, I think, as a starter, moved to the bullpen, they, and they found a way for him to be really, really effective, and, and ultimately, you know, to get himself a, a pro a pro gig as a draftee the following year. So, um, no, I agree. Again, we could talk about, and we could also talk about, and not that we should, but I'm saying, fans' perspective of what's the how much weight do you put into one great year? over three to four years of, like, just being good. Like, what one weighs more, right? And I think that might be, that, like you mentioned with guys like Duffy and Shane Brown, like, they, people, don't, people don't understand why, why they're there. Well, I mean, we are giving, I think, extra weight to, 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 to singular years uh, that really stand out as opposed to maybe you're here for four years and you had some moments, but there's nothing that, that really made you memorable. Well, and baseball is hard, too, because, as you know, guys sometimes just play for a year or two and then get into the MLB draft, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to play a three- or four-year career. Another guy we have, in fact, the only active player on this decade team that I put in was Joe Sheridan. And the reason I put him in, Murph, because he was a 10 wins in that 2017 year. He was a beast. Um, and if he can come back healthy, as we it's a nice little parallel, if he can come back healthy this year, uh, and be somewhere close to what he was in 2017, for example. That's a huge, uh, big arm to have back uh, as he helped them win the American Conference title in 2017. He's had, he's had great numbers, 128 innings pitched in his career, 1.14 whip and things like that. You know, he's one of those guys, and, and I've heard from people that he's he, this is the best he's felt, uh, you know, post-injury. Uh, so if he can get back to close to what he was as a dominant, you know, weekend guy, that's huge. It's absolutely gigantic, and we we'll delve into it more deeply later this month and then the next month about the 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 question marks that are surrounding this team's starting pitching staff, and a lot of that has to do with health. And it kind of does start with Sheridan because you go back to the 2017 season, which the year that got him on this list uh, as a freshman, their best pitcher, their best, like bar none, their best starting pitcher. I know, I, I know, he wasn't their ace that year because Robbie Howell was their ace, but. I mean, if you wanted a guy to win a game, you, you wanted a freshman on the mound, a true freshman than Joe Sheridan. He was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, obviously, 20, you know, uh, uh, last year, uh, or I should say, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, 2018, uh, struggled command, and maybe that was due to, you know, the, on, the oncoming impact of the injury, but I kind of lost his command and, and then sat out all of last season rehabbing. Uh, but if he comes back, uh, it's a huge shot in the arm for this team. Yeah, it should be a fun. So check out our list, our all-decade baseball teams on com, And uh, Murph, 
I hope you. I, I feel like this this was good for you, right? Little that was a good some baseball segment right there, huh? Getting get them. I mean, that's all I mean. I just need this, I just go. need a small fix. I, I thought this. How about this, Jeff? Uh, Jeff, I just called you Jeff. Oh, well, boy. I called you Jeff for this one reason. <laughs> we're we're gonna talk about Jeff. We're gonna talk about Jeff Bullard behind his back now because I last asked you, Eric. This is more like an off, this is more like an on air wow. slash off air meeting. When 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 are, when's the the basket when the like the, the basketball team coming out online? We talked about this for like two weeks now. We teased the all decade basketball team for like two weeks. What what is what's going on there? Murph, that might be your best segue of your career since you've joined the podcast. Because coming up next, Jeff Sharon will join us, and I'll ask him that question live on the air. <laughs> we also might recap the MLS Super Draft. Cal Jennings, men's UCF men's soccer star. Where did did he get drafted? Where did he go? Plus, women's basketball at Cincinnati. They start a big stretch in women's basketball. Murph, thank you, sir. Thanks, Eric. We'll see you later. Coming up next is Jeff Sharon. We'll talk all about what I just said. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And as I promised, now joining me after uh, this big MLS Super Draft, party that we had that Murph didn't want to come to uh, and fresh off him now relieved. I think he's a little more relaxed now because the Mississippi State head coaching job is now no longer vacant uh, as, of course, Mike Leach is the new head coach at Mississippi State. So that's one less job Josh Heupel could, in theory, leave for. And that's, of course, Jeff Sharon. Are are you feeling better now? Are you feeling better? I mean, that was a fun super draft to, to party that you threw out by the way I, all right Murph well, missed out. well it, first of all yes it's unfortunate that Murph missed out I mean what was he gonna do go you know hang hang out you know on on the outside of John Giuliano Park watching UCF's baseball practice I mean come on okay, um, second of all we got we've got some breaking news to report Eric yes so do. with the 17th well actually no let's 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 hand it to the folks from uh, ESPN, and the the pick is in. The pick is in. Let's listen in. At uh, number 17... Cal Jennings, you called it, Matt. Best player left on the board. Yeah, and this is this is what he does. He, he puts the ball in the back of the net. He did it consistently for a pretty good program and a pretty good league. Uh, he doesn't wow you in any aspect of the game. I think the, the one I would, com- would compare him to the most is, is Brian White from the Red Bulls. And Brian White makes his living by being in the right place at the right time, being fundamentally sound. And scoring goals. That's a lot of goals in college yeah. football, Taylor. Yeah. 18, four assists, yep. uh, Herman Trophy semifinalist. Yeah, because you got to remember, it's 18 goals in how many games? Yeah. 23 games in, in a sprint in like two and yeah. a half months, right? So it, it is a lot of goals. Obviously, the next step, no matter what kind of goal scorer you are, that's always a difficult one and how quickly you, you can adapt to that. But again, this is FC Dallas. They have a huge success track record of doing it the right way and giving those young players an opportunity. If you're Cal Jennings and his family, you got to be extremely pleased. Mm. So there's uh, Cal Jennings, UCF star Cal Jennings. He's in the he's in MLS now. He uh, was drafted by FC Dallas, uh, number 17 overall. Um, he was uh, and by the way, some familiar names have gone ahead of him, but uh, but he's but he's going to excuse me. Seven, did I say seven? yeah, 17 overall. So he's the second actual Dallas player to be picked. They also had the 14th pick, but. Uh, yet another American Athletic Conference player being taken. Of course, Garrett McLaughlin from SMU is staying in his home uh, state of Texas to play for the Houston Dynamo. Um, that? Which is Houston uh, and Dallas. Yes, oh, Jennings and McLaughlin. That rivalry will continue in the, the state of Texas. By the way, because I can't pass up the opportunity. 
to there do this. Just let it out. Complete fail by Orlando City. Complete fail. They Now, they had the number five overall pick. Now, they went for Daryl DK, uh, the uh, freshman out of the University of Virginia. Who, nothing against Daryl DK. I watched him in the in the College Cup tournament. He's an outstanding player. He's literally built like he should be a running back, I think, for UVA, or a linebacker, probably. Um, an amazingly talented player. And he'll be fun to watch for Orlando City. But Cal Jennings is sitting there, okay? Your hometown boy, all right? McLaughlin stays in Texas. Uh what, what else do we have? We have a guy from the Big East goes to the Red Bulls. We have um, Ryan Raposo, who is a Canadian, goes to the Vancouver Whitecaps, even though he played at Syracuse. Um, Inter Miami got a guy from the ACC who they watched, Robbie Robinson, with the number one overall pick. Orlando City, you, you could have done it, and you just keep stiff-arming your fans like this. Not drafting Cal Jennings, it is absurd what that franchise is doing. Absolutely patently absurd. It is so upsetting. Nonetheless, we are now FC. We are now FC Dallas fans um, here at uh, at the Black and Gold Banneret, and uh, uh, and yeah. So uh, so Cal will be going to Toyota Stadium in Frisco uh, to play for uh, to play for FC Dallas. Assuming there's no trades, and you never know with drafts and stuff. But uh, but he's going to be. Um, he's gonna he's gonna play for FC Dallas. So seventeenth um, overall right. pick, not too bad. No, no, not at all. Uh, you know, some of the mock drafts had him going top twelve, but you know, I listened to Taylor Twelman. I watched the coverage, which was fascinating. Jeffrey, my favorite part is Nashville. They're uh, making the pick, going to the person they drafted second overall to their house, to the literally to their house <laughs> to announce the pick. I've never, I mean, take note, NBA, NFL fans. All right, get, get, go to the person's house to make the pick. That's pretty wild, but um, twelve men. I think it's like publishers' clearinghouse. They knock on the yeah, door, like, "Hey, congratulations!" <laughs> it literally was. It was unbelievable. Um, but twelve men made the point there, and I forget the other young, the other person that was uh, part of the coverage. You might have even mentioned it in the audio there. FC Dallas does a great job of developing players. So actually, by dropping to Dallas, FC Dallas at seventeen might actually benefit Cal long term because you know he's in a good organization. It's one. Uh, that knows how to develop players as opposed to going early in the draft uh, to go to a team that maybe doesn't know what it's doing or knows how to develop players or build a team. I mean, Taylor was very critical. I mean, you were just critical. I mean, Taylor was just as critical about, about Orlando City as well in the direction of that franchise. So, What direction? Um, well, that's true. Um, so I actually think it might work out for him long-term to go to FC Dallas uh, and be developed there. And uh, I'm just happy for him. Uh best player I've ever seen in person what a what a legacy he's left and what a legacy Jeffrey the UCF men's soccer program continues to have with the MLS because he believe it or not he's not the first UCF player to get drafted even in the first round um this just continues a trend and I'll read it on credit to Ken Landis Kenny or the SID of UCF men's soccer yep. as well as men's and women's tennis who wrote this story about how the MLS players are doing. You know, you got players like Romario Williams, who's actually went third overall in the 2015 draft, going to Montreal. Uh, Deshaun Brown was drafted by the Rapids sixth overall in the 2012 MLS Super Draft. I got to call it Super Draft draft. Remember, it's a Super Draft, not a regular draft. Um, Orlando City did take Haji Berry, 
13th overall in the 2016 draft. One of the few things that they've done right in the last few years. Uh, and then you got Kevin George, second round at Columbus, 29th overall. Warren Caravel, who's with the Houston Dynamo, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, was drafted second round. He's still having a good career in the MLS. Uh, and, of course, John Johnson, maybe the most famous UCF soccer player. Uh, in fact, he's trying out right now. He's part trying to make the U.S. national team. Yeah, he's been, in, he's been in the U.S. national team system for yeah. a few years now. Hopefully he'll get a shot at the next World Cup, too. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, Romario is still playing with Columbus Crew. Uh, Crovell has probably been the most successful professional player as far as in the MLS, not counting Sean Johnson. Uh, he's been he's playing with Philadelphia now. Uh, Sean has been playing with New York City FC. So, But the point is, in all this, nice success here, a rich success quietly for UCF in the MLS. Yeah, and uh, and by the way, there was one more that uh, that Kenny mentioned uh, in his article. Ryan Rochendell, who I watched play when I was working uh, at UCF, he's retired from uh, from professional soccer, but he's now a member of the coaching staff for San Antonio um FC as well. So um, now you're starting to get some UCF guys involved in the coaching ranks, which is, which is pretty awesome. Um, like we're so happy for Cal. He's uh, by the way, quality dude. Um, Dallas is get, Dallas is getting next, and we're still watching uh, to see who else might go. Um, I believe we have one other uh, UCF player yeah, Dean, who's Dean's eligible now. The way they yeah, do Dean, the draft, right. <coughs> the first two rounds were Thursday. The next, and then the third and fourth round is next week. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know why they decided to. It's be, because it's not a regular draft. It's a super draft. Super, super draft. That's correct. <laughs> it's, it's... Um, that's what we've learned there. And by the way, and for those that don't follow it closely, the MLS, I would compare it to Major League Baseball in that more than likely Cal will start out in the lower levels, probably in the USL, uh, where Haji Berry's actually spent some time there. Deshaun uh, Bro. Uh, Brown, I think, has been playing over down there in the yeah. USL with Energy FC as, as well as Kevin George to something. So uh, we won't see him, I don't think, right away in the big leagues in the MLS. It'll take some time to develop, kind of like Major League Baseball with minor league players. But, uh, you know, man, I'll be following him closely and hoping for the best there. How about, by the way, uh, he'll have a, at least he'll have a fellow UCF guy in the, in the, in the region there with Chad Brown, who's actually in the uh, G League over there in that Dallas area. Right, in the Dallas. By the way, stop by uh, uh, UCF men's basketball yep. uh, when they were practicing over, at, over in uh, Fort Worth when they were getting ready to play um, SMU. By the way, the, the USL1 team that is affiliated with FC Dallas is called North Texas SC. Um, they play, where do they play? They play, oh, they, they play in Frisco as well. Um, and, uh, in, uh, let's see, there's the, oh, Globe, oh, they actually play their games at, uh, reportedly Globe Life Park in Arlington, which is the, which is the, the now former home of the Texas Rangers. And, uh, and so they're kind of converting that park into like a multi-use, um, park where they'll play baseball, soccer, and then also I think the XFL Dallas team is going to be playing their games there too. So um, pretty interesting that they get to actually play in that uh, in that facility. But that's the that's not F- not FC Dallas. But Cal will likely be playing for North Texas SC um, to start out at Globe Life Park, and then we'll just keep an eye on it as uh, as the as FC Dallas uh, progresses, and hopefully they bring them up sooner rather than later. So. Um, 
so that should we're good. So again, another UCF player going. Hopefully those. Hopefully we'll see another. All right. So, uh, so that's it for our breaking news on the MLS uh, big, Super big news. So. Draft pick, baby. Draft all right. Picks. All right. Love it. Uh, by the way, welcome a, a welcome. Uh, a welcome alternative from like the basketball and like you know foot, just off-season football madness um let's wait, wait where, you, where do you feel me and murph discussed this earlier how do you feeling now a few days removed because I, I mentioned the fact that you texted us all once the baylor once matt rule went to carolina uh which you inadvertently like broke the news to me because when i saw your text i'm like oh wow <laughs> matt rule took the giants job and then i realized oh no no he didn't he went to the carolina okay uh, you st- are you worried? I asked Murph this question. How worried are you? One to, uh, scale there as far as hypo to Baylor. We're me and Murph not too worried. We think this is all media driven. We're not. We're not uh, taking uh, it too serious. Okay. Uh, so yesterday, uh, I hopped on the beat of sports with Mike Tuck. Mike was filling in for Mark Daniels, and um, he had me on the show, and he asked me the same question, and I said. On a scale of 10, I'm at about a 6. So I'm not, you know, ringing the alarm bells just yet. Uh, I'm not, I, I have no notifications set for any flights from Orlando to Waco. Uh, nor should anyone, quite frankly. Nor should, I, I get I, it. I, I get, but I've, I've, I've met so many people that have gone to Waco, not one person has ever told me, man, I had a really good time there. <laughs> you never met Chip and Joanna Gaines, apparently. But anyway, um... So, so here's my uh, here's the one thing, Eric, that worries me. And I apologize if we're if we're going back over things that you you and Murph talked about earlier when, when I couldn't make it. But the AD at Baylor uh, was at Mizzou when Heupel was there. So that's what kind of gets me a little bit worried. Now, what makes what makes it what makes it a six instead of an eight is he just made all these staff moves. Why would he, you know, hire all these new people just to bolt out the door two days later? You know what I mean? So, so, you know. Oh, and we have uh, breaking news. Breaking news, by the way. More soccer. Well, Orlando City sort of redeemed themselves. With the number 13 pick in the second round, they have drafted... UCF defender Jonathan Dean. Wow! So, so Orlando Dude, City to, has. Do you have to apologize? Do you have to apologize? No, now? no. They could have had both UCF guys. I'm not apologizing for that. Uh, although I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad they got the Virginia kid. But, um, but they have somewhat redeemed themselves in getting at least one UCF player in the MLS draft. And excuse me, super draft. Um, in uh, in Jonathan Dean with that 13 pick in the second round, so um, so awesome. c- congrats! Hey, you two UCF players going in the first two rounds. Pretty good and pretty good ones. Dean under you know defense defense players in the back line always don't get a lot of shine when it comes to soccer because they don't put up stats. Obviously, that's not their job. Uh, but Dean was. But they're probably the most important guys on the field, though, man. I'll tell you that. And Dean was Absolute, no doubt. I agree. Dean I was agree. A, a, a big part of that team this year. I agree, and uh, I'm happy for him. I, you know, I couldn't tell. It was hard to read where he would go in the draft. I knew he was eligible, but uh, to go second round, hey, go to Orlando City. Uh, in fact, that you know that could become my front runner now uh, if he gets called up to be uh, my Orlando, my first ever Orlando City jersey pickup. That could be it, right there. 
right there, my friend. So that's a good, no, that's a good move. Uh, happy for him, second round. That's a pretty good deal and a good day for the UCF program. I'm trying to look. I'm actually going to look. Is that the first time we've had two players in the same draft? Two players drafted in the same draft. Actually, the answer is no. It was 2011. We had Kevin George and Warren Crovell in the same draft. Right. That's why I thought, yeah, I thought there was one year before, and that was the year. Those guys played under uh, Brian Cunningham. And um, and so, you know, obviously, and they're still, they're still in the systems out there. So, um, so that's obviously good. But, uh, but yeah, this is the second time that's happened and uh, first time in uh, nine years. So, um, so yeah, so Cal Jennings again to FC Dallas and uh, and Jonathan Dean to Orlando City. So, um, so again, congrats to those two guys. All right, so back to back to the hypo thing. Yeah. Like anyway, just to, just to wrap that up. Um, I, like I said, I don't think he would have he would have hired all those guys to be on a staff here in Orlando if he had if he had designs on going elsewhere. And yeah. you know, and obviously, you know, it's not like news of the Baylor job opening is new in the coaching area i mean it's it's more than likely that i mean you know, if rule was interested in going in, in leaving baylor for the nfl obviously that's that's news that would have been traveling around the coaching ranks among the agents and stuff for a while and if josh hyper was interested he i don't think he would have done all that to you know done well, what he did in order to leave but 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 again you know i you know i'll feel a lot better once baylor announces their head coach and it's not josh hyper that's the thing the one thing I will say, if you're Josh Heupel, if you're going to leave UCF, I don't think you leave for a Baylor job. I don't think Baylor is a job that's like a destination job. Uh, I mean, you saw. I mean, you Matt don't think Rule so, really? The Big Twelve, Big Twelve yeah. private private school, you had a lot of money. Yeah, it's Waco, Texas. I mean, nobody wants to go to Waco, Texas, unless they have. To. Okay, but like, but like, but like, uh, nobody. I mean, you could say that about seventy-five percent of the college towns in the country, but. Yeah, like, but so I mean, what? I've never heard as much disdain as I've heard from Waco, Texas. And I don't know. I've never been there, so I can't speak. I just know <laughs> no one's ever speaking positively of Bay- Waco. I think to me— I think you're underselling Waco as a city, but anyway. Wow. Oh, I didn't know you were the Taurus. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you're Josh, you've got a loaded team coming back next year. You're going to be probably the favorites, if not co-favorites, to win the American. You've got a chance to win 10-plus games, okay? You could probably— get a better job the law you know if you get another year at, you know have another big year at UCF right if you win a conference title uh, next year or so I think you'll get better jobs than Baylor available to you now no one knows and you know and let's be honest Josh is a family guy Orlando's a good family city and he has no ties to the school I know some people might are listening what, what, what if Scott Frost went to Lincoln Nebraska well he went to school there he's from there there's ties there I I just I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he moved. Uh, but, hey, you know, if you want to go to Waco, God, God bless you. But I, I think if he waits another year or two, Jeff, there are more prime jobs that he can get if he wants to. And for all we know, he could want to stay here as well, by the way. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, by the way, Josh Heupel, if you're wondering, oh, where is he from? Aberdeen, South Dakota. So it's not like he's a Texas kid. You know, I mean, uh, well, maybe, maybe you know, Scott <laughs> Scott Frost was uh, let's let's put it this way: if if Josh Heupel one day ends up the head coach of the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, we've had a couple things go wrong. But um, the uh, uh, but uh, like you said, Scott Frost was um, you know he was the he was a Nebraska kid, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I mean that, that's and, and and really, I mean. 
when Scott got here, I always felt that he was going to leave for Nebraska. It was just a question of when would the Nebraska job open, and unfortunately, or you know, the, on your perspective, that job probably opened sooner than we all thought. I think we thought maybe Nebraska's job would open a year later than it did. Um, I don't get that sense being around Josh. I could be wrong. Again, I mean, heck, he's pretty good at. Well, I will say this: he's pretty good at. He's pretty good at keeping his cards close to his Agreed. vest. You know, I, I agree. Mean. I agree. So we'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but let's not get caught up because some media writer in CBSSports.com puts him on the on the headliner. You know, I mean, well, I mean, he's he's always going to be. You know, it's always one of those things. Where it's like, okay, he's out. Let's throw some names around. Uh, oh, Heupel's got Big Twelve ties. Oklahoma, but he'll never go back Bingo. to Oklahoma because they fired him. But maybe he'll go to Baylor. Revenge play, you know. Uh, and then George oh Hill. look, and then oh look at that, the AD, and you know, it's. I mean, on the outside it makes sense, but on the inside, well, I mean, it might make sense, but but I don't know. I I, I don't. I still don't think it's going to happen as of Thursday afternoon. And we could we could be doing an emergency podcast on Friday for right. all we know. But um, all right. Uh, so so that hopefully puts to bed yeah, the right. hypo thing. All right. Let's talk uh, women's hoops okay. before we go, go here. Um, the uh, so they're in the midst of conference play now, having uh, just taken it to ECU, and I was at that game. Um, this is I don't know what it is about this team, man. They play some weird games, but um, UCF beats ECU ninety-one to fifty-five in. Uh, uh, in, in in Orlando, the um, I'm trying to find the the largest lead, um, but I can't find it here in the box. But um, anyway, this was this game was not a contest from the very beginning. UCF dropped 28 points in the first quarter to nine uh, for ECU, and they were up 52 to 15 at the half. 52 to 15 at the half. And kind of ECU kind of fought back a little bit. Actually, outscored UCF by one point in the second half. But by then, it was pretty much like it was like garbage time. And, and one thing I think that uh, Coach Abe is probably not a little not very happy with is how sloppy UCF was late in the game. Um, uh, in particular, they UCF committed twenty nine turnovers in this game. Mm. Five players turned the ball over four times or more. K.K. Wright turned it over six times. Now, they did force 23 turnovers by ECU, but ECU's playing with eight people. And uh, they're in a first-year coach, big-time rebuilding year. Um, it's, uh, that, that program's in, uh, in, in some straits right now. They're trying to figure it out. But um, <clears throat> UCF held ECU to 7 of 27 from the field. In the first half, uh, while the Knights themselves shot 17 out of 30 um, in that first half, uh, we saw quite a bit of three-point shooting. Um, eight threes in the first half. How about uh, a couple players that I wanted to highlight here? First of all, Georgia Gale had her best shooting day of the year. Six of seven from three-point range. 18 points. Um, but she wasn't the leading scorer. That goes to Brittany Smith, who is just balling out right now. I mean, she is... Um, she's had the hot hand. Double figures, I think, in five straight games. This is one of the best games I've seen her play. Get a load of this line, Eric. Eight of ten from the field. Five of five at the line. 21 points, five rebounds. One foul. She was excellent in this game. Uh, K.K. Wright had eight points and eight assists. 
uh, on just two of seven. KK kind of didn't look like herself in this game. I think she was kind of she's kind of in third gear a little bit. I don't know. It it it, it felt like you know this. Look, I, you know, I'm out here to run the offense, but I don't need to shoulder the scoring load for this game. Um, Masnikava had seven rebounds. UCF, by the way, out rebounded ECU forty six to eighteen. That was the difference in the game. Um, but a little sloppy in the second half, Eric. I, I, I don't think it's really cause for concern because there was a lot of garbage time involved. Um, Destiny Thomas got a lot of minutes, and she rarely plays. Uh, kind of the big of the future to go with Brittany Smith once Masani Kava graduates. Uh, Destiny had uh, uh, played 15 minutes in the game. Uh, we saw Anna Bernie check in. We saw Caroline Daniels. Um, I'm not too concerned about it, but... You know, it's one of those things like, ah, uh, you really could have stepped on their throats there and not. And it's hard to do that, though. I mean, from a, I mean, it's hard to keep that up. That's fair. The thing I, that that uh, jumps out at me at this team, and it remains to be seen. Obviously, we're just starting conference play and how the season plays out and how this team does. But if I feel like this has, this team has more upside offensively than any team that Coach Abe's had here, and I think this is a better offensive team than last year because. I mean, how many – the last few years, Jeff, every time we talked about it, it was either – last year was KK or bust. The year right. before that was Z Saunders or bust, right? I don't get that sense this year. Uh, KK is still the most important player, obviously. But you just mentioned there's some shooters on this team. There's players that could score. I think they got multiple scores for the first time on this team. Uh, I think under Coach A, maybe since her first year, maybe – uh, you know, you had Gregory there. Uh, I'm trying to remember if you had two. Well, you had uh, Zai Lewis also. Who Zai was, Lewis, yeah, and, right. That might have been the closest. But and and freshman KK, who was, right. you know, freshman KK. I mean, uh, you know, she was, she was, uh, she was just as reckless as she was as she is now. Except she just was, she wasn't quite there yet. So, uh, but but yeah, I, and, and to be honest with you, Aaliyah Gregory, good as she was wasn't quite Aaliyah Gregory yet that year either. Um, That was when we sort of discovered Aaliyah Gregory. Um, I I think I'm really encouraged by the bigs, and Masnikawa is so solid down low, especially as a rebounder. She's also turned herself into a really great rim protector. Um, Four blocks in this game. I, I, I just love the fact that you got Moss and Brittany Smith Brittany Smith has been balling. She's, 15 points, yeah. six boards, 65% from the field her last five games. Really, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, Jeff. They've got multiple, they got different options of where they can get scoring from outside and inside. Right. I think it's a versatile offense. That's the thing that gets me excited about this team moving forward. Um, and I think their defense has caught up to their standards, where I think early in the year they were learning how to play together. They struggled defensively. I think offensively, this team's pretty talented um, and really impressive to the point, Jeff, where I don't know if you agree with this. I did like my tiers for women's basketball with the league play starting. Obviously, mm-hmm. UConn's tier one, number one, big shot. I've got UCF as their only tier two team right now. I don't know. You know, I got USF and Cincinnati, who UCF will play on Sunday in the tier three group with Temple. Then there's a drop off. The problem with the league, you got teams like Houston, Wichita State, Tulane in the 140s RPI. Uh, Memphis is 180, SMU 191. That's a big problem. UCF's currently a 55 RPI uh, in this team. So they they got to have to play, 
play a clean sheet outside of UConn. But the thing that I'm optimistic about is I think this team now can beat you multiple ways. It's not just we're going to win with defense and try to win a low-scoring game and slug it out. I think they can win with offensive as well. They have different ways to beat you, I think, this team. Yeah. Only three teams from the American, by the way, in the RPI Top 100 right now. Uh, Temple is the other one behind UCF. Um, and then number four is South Florida, but we don't know what we're really going to get from them this year. Temple, by the way, is 57th. UCF is 55th, like you said. Um, I do think, obviously, obviously, there's still... I, I, I agree with you. I think there is a bit of a larger gap between UCF and Temple, although I haven't really watched much of Temple this year. Um, they seem to they seem to be up there because of a, a number of non-conference. They're at nine and six, um, so it could be a function of their schedule. I don't know. I have to take a look. They played a tough schedule. They played yeah. South Carolina. They played UConn already because they had to play an early conference. Right, UConn. So that bumped them up. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see how good they are or not as time would tell. Let's talk about Cincinnati though, because Cincinnati, I think by all purposes, was picked third or fourth in this league. They were the third best team last year. UCF beat them in the semifinals of the American Conference, beat them in a dramatic game in Orlando in last mm-hmm. year where KK stole the ball to win by a point. Cincinnati is coming off a win at Memphis. Tight game. Their RPI is only at 144. And this is the flaw with the RPI that I have an issue with. This is a tough game for UCF going on the road to Cincinnati on Sunday. But yet, according to the numbers, it's not supposedly a tough game. And that's where teams get hurt with the RPI because UCF could lose this game and get hurt RPI-wise. And if they win, they won't get maybe the credit that they probably should get. Yeah. They have a first-year head coach in John Brannon. Uh, That's the men's team. Is is that? Wait a minute. John is the men's coach. I'm sorry. Yeah, my my bad. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. That's right. I pr- She's in I her second on. year. She's in her second year who you're talking about. It's a, a lot of new faces at Cincinnati. Yeah. Big week, by my the way, of Cincinnati sports <laughs> uh, in basketball Let's, this weekend. Boy, that, that, you, that, boy it's, it, it shows that I am just locked in on football. Now, Michelle Clark Hurd, by the way, is the, is the Cincinnati coach in her uh, in her second year there. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't... Uh, I saw a lot of things. Thinking back to last year with Cincinnati, I saw a lot of things. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things you want to look for is like when you're under first year coach, and you talked about that game that UCF and Cincinnati played at UCF last year that went down on the wire. You, there's always going to be a lot of roster turnover, but you're always going. But but how do those players who are assembled come together? And ha- you know, sure they might lose a lot of games, but are they going to make you earn it? And Cincinnati made everybody earn it last year. They but and that's what kind of frightens me of them a little bit about about this year. So so yeah, you're right. I, I, you're playing this game on the road. It's your first road game in conference. At least you got a week in between this game. And the other thing I I I I don't think this will happen, but you never know with college kids is 4 days later you got UConn at home. And are are they looking could they look past Cincinnati a little bit? I got I hope not. I don't think they will. Um by the way, everyone's like, oh, blame – when that does happen, sometimes it does happen, right? Everyone blames the coaches. You can't blame the coaches. The coaches are sitting there – it's not like the coaches are like, ah, don't worry about Cincinnati. We'll play – we're playing UConn in, in a few days. We'll beat Cincinnati. No. The coaches are keenly aware of of that factor, and they just – they. it's like Josh Heupel says, right? Go 1-0. Just focus on the game that's right in front of you. Nothing else matters. 
Coach Abe is the same way, although she doesn't use that cliche that everyone hates, but I actually like. But anyway, um, it's the players who who could tune that out. And, and I don't think they will. I don't think KK will let them as the senior leader of the team. Um, but you never know. They're going to they're gonna get Cincinnati's best shot because Cincinnati knows that, they can, that this can really help them out in the league standings. Um, getting a W over UCF, particularly at home. And I think, is this the only time we... No, we do play them uh, at home on the day oh, yeah, after no, Valentine's is, Day. So, right, this is, and, and this is the tough stretch. You could argue the toughest of the schedule, but they have to go through this twice. They're at Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati, UConn, USF. Yeah, and they have to do this again later <laughs> in the year. Uh, not necessarily in that order, but when they go to UConn, host USF yeah. and Cincinnati. So, they're, I, you know, we're going to learn a lot about this team I think after this upcoming week with Cincinnati, UConn, and USF in a matter of seven days, it's just incredible. So we're going to learn a lot about this team. But i got to give you credit. I remember we talked about them, oh, wow, it was like a month ago maybe, when they were around 500. And you set out the goal to get to 10-4 and four going into the UConn game. Mm-hmm. Remember that? You said 10-4. and four. Get Well, if they win this game at Cincinnati, they reach that goal, 10-4. and four. Uh, and a two and zero start in the league if they could do it, uh, and Cincinnati, and uh, so it's a credit to them for playing very well. But this could be a tough one. And by the way, nationally televised, it'll be on ESPN two Sunday two o'clock. It's an hour before the Chiefs and the Texans. So all you foot, you can still pop in there, little women's hoops before the NFL starts. Yeah. Hopefully pretty, UCF pretty will have the game in hand by then, <laughs> so we don't oh, have to. Wow. So we don't have to stay. Hopefully, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it would happen, but you know, hopefully. <laughs> By the way, we're going to get into this more uh, probably the night before next episode. UConn final trip to Orlando. That's a big deal. Oh boy! Um, All the folks from the villages are coming down to UCF to watch that game. Boy, let me tell you. <laughs> wow, Jeff's. A, see what happens when Jeff's not hosting. I'm not Jeff. joking, dude. I mean, have you been there? Have you been there for that game the last few years? Uh, I was there a couple years ago. Yeah, it's like like seventy five percent of Lake County drives down for this game. I, I swear, half the villages went to UConn, and they're there to, and, and they are there to watch that game. It's the national program. It's a big program. I mean, it's and we're gonna get into that more. I want to get it. We'll get into that more. More, next more UConn fans came to watch the women's basketball team at the arena than came to watch the football team, and it, when they play here. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I, mean, I would rather see the women's basketball team than their football program, too. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I think that's pretty fair. So we're going to go more in-depth on that big matchup uh, in our next episode. We're going to go yep. into that. Uh, but remember, UCF Cincinnati on the deuce, uh, Sunday, 2 o'clock. Uh, men's, by the way, Saturdays, I mean, we talked with Murph earlier. That's a noon tip on ESPN2. So we're both the men in the women's game against Cincinnati on the deuce, the men on Saturday at noon Eastern at UCF, and then the women on Sunday, 2 o'clock on the deuce. Got all that? I know it's a little tricky. but Write it down. Maybe not all that written down. All right, so as we wrap up here, uh, I, have to, I have to address this because Murph uh, closed by calling you out on the show oh, publicly, uh, airing dirty, dirty laundry, banneret laundry here. He wants to know – when is the rest of the All-Decade series that we've been promoting will come out? He's very eager. He was trying to press me about who I put on my softball All-Decade team. I did not budge. I've got... He called you out. He called you out, uh, Jeffrey. He called you out, so you need this is your opportunity to respond to Merv, because I know you promoted this when you were on with Mike and uh, on the Beat of Sports. 
uh, as well about our all decades here. Yes. All right. So I, I wanted to get a few more of them out the last couple days, but then the news happened, and I don't want to and I don't want to crimp on the news cycle. So we're gonna have uh, one more coming out, and we by the way we have a guest writer actually who's gonna who uh, with, with a new post Andrew Gluchov. You know him from he's uh, Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. Uh, he wrote us a guest post that he wanted to get up on the site, so that'll be coming out. And then the rest of this week, we should be having some of these uh, all-decade teams coming out. I just, it was going to happen. We had the, uh, but then we had all the football news break, and 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 like I said, I didn't want them to get lost in the shuffle because um, there's still plenty of time. There's still plenty of time out there. So let's make sure that. So I want to make sure it gets as much audience as they can. Um, and and that's why I'm holding off on them. But we got uh we got let's see we got football came out, baseball came out, volleyball came out. Um, we're gonna do softball. You sent me the soccer ones. Uh, we got men's and women's soccer, men's and women's which, soccer, which is really that those those are a lot of fun. I actually really like those. Um, and then what else we have? Uh, basketball teams and the basketball teams coming out. Uh, I think I'm gonna do the basketball ones early next week because they're gonna be. Because they're gonna because there's gonna be a lot there, and then um, in the in addition to that, um, what else do we have? Do we have uh, all, all coaches decade? Yep, uh, top ten coaches, coaches of the decade. The coaches of the decade. Uh, we have the game. games of the decade. Um, even top opponent players, opposing players, like best players UCF played in the sport. In a that's lot right. Of Pretty so. cool names. Pretty cool names. So it's a good series. Murph, calm down, Murph. See, Murph, I hope I don't know if that helps. Don't Murph. you worry. Don't you worry one bit, Murph. Save save your fear for when you and I are worried about, uh, or, or when for when you and I are worried about. You know, is is Joe Judge the answer for the New York Giants? <laughs> maybe that's why he's not so, really joining us. Maybe. Um. Anyway, so so yeah, so so that's what yeah. that's what we're you know that's by the way, I like the hire. But anyway, that's all. That's what I've 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 made my I've made my piece on Twitter with that. All my fellow UCF Giants people, you can read that there. But anyway, that's where we're at. So I'm feeling pretty good about this. So we got all that coming out on Black and Go Banneret. Obviously, Murph's recap of the SMU game is, is on right now. Uh, and then later in the week, maybe even Monday, my article about will will UCF football finish the year in the top twenty five. I actually broke that down. Mr. Sharon, are you a pessimistic? You think no? You, you think the I'm? No? I'm pessimistic about it. I, I really, I. It, it's not. Be, it's not that I don't think UCF deserves to be in the top twenty-five. I think they do, but I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, so we'll find I, out. We'll find they should, out. They should, they should be. They should be like 20, 24, 25. That's where. I, if I had a vote, that's where I would put them. Well, as I wrote, and people will see, I won't give too much away. There is a couple spots available. Um, whether they can get one of those two spots, we'll see. Uh, yeah. But that, it is what it is. We'll break that down on Tuesday morning. And then other stuff we got going on. We got the basketball recap. You mentioned the all-decade series coming out. You mentioned what we've got coming out. Uh, plus, you can actually listen to Jeff's interview with Mike Tuck, right? That's on archived on the best of beat of sports uh, on their site. So, yep. Going to pop that up uh, there here in a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, we'll get, like I said, the uh, the, the all-decade teams, I, I've got – I got a full plate, man. I, it's – it's good. I recorded the segment with you. The baby's down. She's sleeping right now, so I got some time to do it. So, well, good. I'm Finally, you, uh, join. How does it feel to be on the other chair for a change? Uh, I dig it. I like being it. I like being asked questions, and because it makes me feel important. <laughs> 
Welcome to my world. Nice. <laughs> I know I failed. Uh, very good. Good answer. All right, Jeffrey. Uh, good stuff, buddy. Uh, we'll uh, be in touch. We'll do this again next week. Maybe you'll be back now. That to be determined. Yeah, yeah, we'll, leave, we'll leave that exactly. up to the editors. That's right. Uh, that's <laughs> Jeff Sharon. Uh, for Brian Murphy, I'm Eric Lopez. Thank you again for tuning in. Again, follow us, folks, on Twitter, social media, all the latest news in UCF. BlackEagleBanneret.com is your home, of course, from the website standpoint. Of course, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. And, of course, uh, subscribe to us for all the episodes, any episodes you missed, any episodes forthcoming, you'll know. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast devices. For Jeff and Murph, I'm Eric. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black Go Banneret.